I think it's important to avoid putting our children in these boxes based on birth order. Since children believing these negative stereotypes can eventually become self-fulfilling prophecies, I think this one will blow your mind and I'll be honest, I have trouble believing it myself. Hi everyone, welcome to the Parenting Translator Newsletter. I'm Dr. Kara Goodwin and today I'm going to be talking about three very common parenting myths. So one of my favorite things to do on my Parenting Translator platform is to debunk common parenting myths that are out there. Not only does this provide a shock value and a great conversation starter, but I think it also shows us why we need research. Although a lot of research backs up our own observations as parents, some research helps us to see our own misconceptions about parenting. So I'm going to talk about three common myths that I hear and then talk about the research behind these myths. Um, the first one is birth order. So everyone has heard the stereotypes about birth order. You know, that oldest children are the most responsible. Middle children are, you know, tend to be attention seeking and youngest children might be, you know, the most fun loving. And if you haven't seen TJ Theron's caricatures on Instagram and TikTok, please check them out immediately because they are hilarious. I can't help but notice when my own three children conform to these stereotypes. And I do consider myself to be the typical middle child. I don't like to be left out of important decisions. And I do say that I love attention from time to time. But are these stereotypes about birth order actually supported by science? Does research find that birth order shapes personality? So, A 2015 study helped address this question. So they looked at data from over 20,000 people and the researchers found absolutely no impact of birth order on any measure of personality. The only impact of birth order they found was that firstborn children, oldest children scored highest on IQ tests and they also reported their intelligence to be higher. So in other words, first children are smarter and they will tell you that they're smarter, which seems about right. If you know some oldest children, just kidding. But so why are first children smarter? So this effect is likely the result of parents spending more time reading and interacting with their firstborn child. And I think those of us who have had children close in age can relate to this. Um, so research finds that parents spend an additional 20 to 30 minutes of quality time with firstborn children then parents from a similar family spend with the same age second born. So on average, you're probably spending 20 to 30 minutes extra with your firstborn child than later born children. Birth order also seems to impact education with children born later in birth order showing lower levels of education. And again, this reflects the idea that parents um, have more resources to give their first child than later children. So what about being an easier, difficult baby? Everyone promises you that your second baby will be easier or more, more laid back, but is there any truth to this? So surprisingly, research also finds no impact of birth order on infant temperaments, um, suggesting that this birth order myth is also false. So what does it suggest that we do as parents? I think it suggests that we shouldn't label our children based on birth order. So an oldest child, you know, they can be laid back. A middle child can be perfectly well adjusted. 
and a youngest child can be a natural leader. I think it's important to avoid putting our children in these boxes based on birth order. In particular, I think it's important to avoid any sort of negative stereotypes about your child's birth order. Um, since children believing these negative stereotypes can eventually become self-fulfilling prophecies, meaning they become true over time. Okay, moving on to parenting myth number two. Sugar causes hyperactivity. I think this one will blow your mind, and I'll be honest, I have trouble believing it myself. So a meta-analysis, which is a study that combines data from multiple studies, found that sugar does not impact behavior, cognitive, or academic performance of children in any significant way. So you might be thinking, okay, okay. So this study finds that sugar does not impact children on average, but it definitely impacts my child. My child just must be sensitive to sugar. But research has looked at children who are reported to be sensitive to sugar and found that even children reported to be sensitive to sugar show no differences in behavior, attention, hyperactivity, mood, executive functioning, or academic performance. So given all of this evidence, why is there still so much talk about hyperactivity, about sugar causing hyperactivity, or um, a lot of us have heard a sugar high? Um, so one reason could be parents' expectations. So research finds that even when children are given a placebo, which is a liquid that, you know, tastes sweet, but isn't sugar and are told is a high dose of sugar. Mothers report that their children are significantly more hyperactive. It could be that because the mothers are expecting the children to be more hyperactive than they are perceiving it as such. It could also be that the situations that children typically consume a lot of sugar at tend to be like holidays and birthday parties that may make a children seem more hyperactive due to excitement. So the translation here is that, you know, it's still not healthy for children to consume a a lot of excess sugar um, because a diet high in sugar is linked to, you know, many health complications in children like diabetes. But however, if your child occasionally consumes too much sugar, try not to stress and try adjusting your expectations about their behavior and see if that makes a difference. So parenting myth number three, sleep begets sleep. I know I heard this all the time when my children were um, babies and toddlers, and I always wondered if it was true. So I had to research this one. So this saying, sleep begets sleep, basically means that if your child naps better during the day, then they will sleep better at night. But I would notice from my own experience that when my children took super long naps, they tended to be a nightmare to put to bed. So can research help us to understand if this is really true? Um, so a review study published in 2015 looked at the impact of napping on nighttime sleep. And very interestingly, the researchers found no impact of napping on cognition, which means IQ, behavior, or health. So any parents out there, I know I've been in this position, when your children refuse to nap, you can rest assured that they will probably be fine without the nap. So now looking at how naps impact nighttime sleep. So the researchers did find a consistent link between better nighttime sleep and going to sleep later for the night as well as better napping was associated with less sleep at night and less sleep quality or lower sleep quality at night. So in other words, children who take better naps tend to go to sleep later and sleep less or more poorly than children who do not nap. 
This study included children from zero to five years, but the association was strongest for children over two years. Another study looked only at one and a half year old children, and they looked at how naps impact nighttime sleep. And the researchers found that the longer toddlers nap, the later they went to bed and the less time they slept at night overall. The timing of the nap also seemed to have a significant impact with later afternoon naps disturbing nighttime sleep to a greater extent. So the translation here is a shorter nap that happens earlier in the afternoon may help your child if they struggle with nighttime sleep. But I need to say, if your child is napping well and sleeping well at night, then you should thank your lucky stars and hang on to that nap for as long as you can. Don't mess with it if it's working. It's also important to note that the negative impact of long naps on nighttime sleep was particularly found in toddlers, which makes sense given that toddlers have less sleep needs overall than infants. You probably should not cut your infant's nap short unless they're really struggling with their naptime sleep. And of course, you want to discuss any sleep issues or any change in sleep with your pediatrician before you make any changes. Um, so that's it for this week of the Parenting Translator newsletter. If you would like to subscribe, please go to parentingtranslator.substack.com and please share with your friends. Thanks, everyone. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.